Hello, my name is Erin. Here are the obituaries from today's Des Moines Register. Mary Tish Fazio, Des Moines. Mary Tish Fazio, 85, passed away May 4th, 2020 at the Iowa Jewish Senior Life Center. Tish was born April 27, 1935 in Des Moines to Dominic and Francis Morasco. She enjoyed cooking and baking, especially Italian cookies. Tish was the life of the party and loved hosting holiday dinners. She enjoyed fine dining and traveling with her husband, Sam. She was grateful for her wonderful neighbors, especially Anna, Becky, and Chris. Their love and friendship was a big part of her life. Tish lived for her grandkids and loved spending time with all of her family. She was a devout Catholic and lifelong member of St. Anthony Catholic Church and the Altar and Rosary Society. Tish was also a member of the Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. Tish is survived by her daughter, Mary Fran, spouse John Cardamon, grandchildren Natalie, spouse Tony Brown, Sammy Cardamon, and Christina Cardamon, great-grandchildren Charlie Rose Brown and Jackson Brown, brother Bobby, spouse Donna Morasco, as well as many nieces, nephews, extended family, and dear friends. She was preceded in death by her husband Sam Fazio, son Sammy Joe Fazio, and her siblings Virgita Vonk, Peter Morasco, and Ned Morasco. Due to COVID-19 restrictions limiting public gatherings to 10 people or less, Tish's visitation and funeral mass at St. Anthony Catholic Church will be private. A celebration of life will be held at a later date. Memorial contributions may be directed to St. Anthony Catholic Church or Hospice of the Midwest in loving memory of Tish. The family would like to extend a sincere thank you to their cousin, Teresa Ann Weston. Her devotion and tender care over the last two years of Tish's life will never be forgotten. A heartfelt thank you to the entire staff at the Iowa Jewish Life Center Senior Center. The family will always be grateful for their compassionate care and dedication. Also, a special thank you to Tish's hospice nurse Erin and CNA Morgan for the exceptional care she received. Condolences may be expressed at www.hamiltonsfuneralhome.com. Harry Howard Hagedorn. Harry Howard Hagedorn, age 88, born November 1, 1931, to Hans James Hagedorn and Christine Catherine Nee Johnson Hagedorn in Boone, Iowa, passed away in Joplin, Missouri on May 2, 2020, after a brief illness. He was preceded in death by his parents and siblings, brother Homer James Hagedorn, brother Frederick Bassett Hagedorn, and sister Dorothy Marie Hagedorn Nickel. Harry is survived by his wife of nearly 67 years, Rosemary June Charlotte Nee Carlson Hagedorn of Joplin, Missouri, son Mark Allen, spouse Deanne Hagedorn of Chitek, Wisconsin, daughter Kristen Joe Kudahay, spouse Terry of Carmel, Indiana, daughter Sandra Sue Hensley, spouse Bobby of Sherman, Texas, David Kirk Hagedorn, spouse Teresa of Joplin, Missouri, and Ruth Ann Lowry, spouse Bill Greenwood of Hayden, Idaho. Harry is also survived by 12 grandchildren and 16 great-grandchildren. Shortly after his birth, he moved with his family to a farm outside of Jefferson, Iowa. He was raised on the farm, attended Jefferson Community Schools, and was valedictorian of his graduating class of 1949. He attended Iowa State University, graduated as a mathematics major, 
soldier and was commissioned as an officer in the United States Navy in 1953. He and Rosemary were married on June 14, 1953, and moved to California, where Harry was based first in Alameda and then in San Diego. Following his years of service, and Rose, he and Rosemary moved back to Jefferson in 1955 to farm the Hagedorn land and to start a long and successful career as a beloved teacher and wrestling coach in Jamaica, Iowa, and the Jefferson Community Schools. Along with teaching and farming, he also supported his family by running a successful Holstein dairy operation and summer custom hay baling business. After retiring from teaching, he and Rosemary moved to the Joplin, Carthage, Missouri area and resided there until his passing. Harry was a man of many talents and enjoyed gardening, tennis, bridge games of all sorts, classical music, woodworking, and traveling to visit his ever-expanding family across the country. He was also very honored and humbled to be in inducted into the Jefferson Community Schools, now Green County Schools, Hall of Fame for his years of dedicated service in the classroom and to the greater community. Most of all, Harry was a devoted husband, father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. He took great pride in knowing he had raised a successful and thriving family. Harry was a role model of honesty and integrity and will always be remembered with love and affection. Due to COVID-19 pandemic, Inurement and graveside services will be held at a later date. Cremation arrangements are under the direction of Parker Mortuary, Joplin, Missouri. Wayne Wong, Des Moines. Wayne Wong, 71, of Des Moines, passed away on Thursday, April 30th, 2020, at Every Step Cabinaugh House after a long battle with cancer. Due to the current limitations of a 10-person gathering, an intermittent visitation will be held for Wayne from 8 to 4 p.m. Thursday, May 14th at Isles Dunn's Chapel. Attendees will remain in their vehicles until the funeral home is accessible for a brief viewing. A family family funeral service will be held at 11 a.m. Friday, May 15th at Dunn's Chapels. Friends may join the service via live stream at www.islescares.com. Burial will follow at Glendale Cemetery. Wayne's life centered around his wife and family. He loved his children, grandchildren, and the entire extended family. The Wong family gatherings were always large in size and an abundance of delicious food. Wayne and Lynn found much happiness in having family meals on Sunday evenings. Wayne taught his grandchildren the culture of China as well as introduced them to the diverse Asian cuisine. He stressed the unity of being a family and passed down many family values. Wayne loved traveling with family and friends to California and Chicago to see relatives and touring the cities. Wayne was an avid Hawkeye fan. He also enjoyed having breakfast with a group of local retired Southsiders. Wayne worked at Kwong Tong Restaurant 41 years and was essential in the opening of the family restaurant as a teenager. During that time, he served as a translator for his parents and grew into serving, cooking, and ultimately running the family business. Wayne built many relationships with the customers and never met a stranger. He had so many regular customers and would know what they wanted to eat without them having to place an order. Upon retiring from the restaurant, Wayne kept busy with commercial properties that he had in partnership with his three brothers. Wayne enjoyed providing many local and small business owners an opportunity to start their business and watching them succeed. He also loved helping families in need when it mattered most. Around the holidays, he would purchase meals and gifts for families at Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
One of Wayne's last words was, I had a great life. The family finds much peace with this and it gives them the strength to move forward. Much love to you, Wayne. Wayne is survived by his wife, Oi Lin Wong, daughter Ping Wong of Des Moines with her children, Chris III and Alexis, son Chong, spouse Angela Wong of Grimes with their children, Idaya and Chice, son Kwok, spouse Jenny Wong of Des Moines with their children, Olivia and Tyler, son Tom, spouse Jen Wong of Des Moines with their children, Francesca, Gianna, and Eleonora, Brother Hing, spouse Mei Wong of Des Moines with their children, Du Ping, spouse Seng Chu Wong, Gigi, spouse Rick Peterson, and Fei, spouse Eric Loven. Brother Ling, spouse Bai Wong of Des Moines with their children, Lily, spouse Brandon Gray, Bob, spouse Yen Yen Wong, and Jan Jan, spouse Dat Trini. Brother Jimmy, spouse Natalie Wong of Cedar Rapids with their children, Spencer, spouse Kenna Quick, Hunter Wong, and Tanner Wong. He was preceded in death by his parents, Don and Moon Wong, sister Ming Wong, brothers Jackson Wong, and Baby Wong. The family extends their special thanks to the staff of Kavanaugh House and Mercy One for their kindness and care. Flowers and contributions may be directed to the family in care of Isles Dunn Chapel. Now moving to the sports section of the Des Moines Register. Talking Sneakers, Last Dance with Naz Mitru Long by Travis Hines. One of the things everyone seems to know but not really understand is how influential shoes are in basketball. The casual fan seems to have a passing knowledge of how prevalent brands such as Nike and Adidas are, but don't really comprehend the level of power they wield across the sport. Given some of the game's biggest stars make more from their shoe deals than they do from the team contracts, there is an argument to be made that those brands are subsidizing the NBA, the most influential league and level of basketball in the world. Beyond that, though, there is real passion within the game for shoes within the game, wearing, collecting, and talking about them. That is incredibly important to the culture of basketball. That's why I was a little disappointed when The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls documentary that is engrossing the gameless sports world during the COVID-19 pandemic, only gave a cur cursory few minutes to the rise of the Air Jordan shoe, which began the sne sneaker revolution and remains the most important and sought-after shoe among those who COVID kicks. So I decided to call the biggest sneakerhead I know to talk more about the shoe game. Borderline hoarding is actually a great way to put it. Indiana Pacers guard and beloved former Iowa State guard Nas Mitru Long said, I have a storage in Iowa, and if you were to look in it, you would literally think it's Foot Locker. I've got some kicks, man. Mitro Long estimated that he's got about 40 pairs on hand in Indianapolis and another 150 or so in storage. It was a love affair that started with a gift from his father when Mitro Long was about 10. My first pair of Jordans were the white and blue Jordan 18s, he said. I got them from my dad. I was in heaven. I was young. They didn't even fit me, but he gave them me and I wore them. I fell in love with Jordans ever since. There's no small part of why Mitro Long has been watching The Last Dance with a keen interest. I haven't missed one, he said, and I rewatch it the day after every week. I'm pretty up on that. The Jordan brand has been the standard bearer of kicks cool since Nike unveiled that 
would be known as the band Jordans in 1984. The NBA fined Jordan and Nike paid the tab 5000 for every time he wore them because the black and red design violated the league's uniform policy. The notoriety it brought caused the shoe to skyrocket in popularity, and its timeless design has kept the Jordan ones the most popular shoe for sneakerheads for decades, even after more iterations of the shoe came out, both during and after Jordan's career. My favorite personal Jordans, it would definitely be a tie between the threes and the XIs, Michu Long said. I loved the IVs, the breads, black and red, but the XIs and the threes just have a special place in my heart. The black cat threes and the bread XIs are my favorite Jordans, and they're sitting right here as I'm looking at them. I have a lot of Jordans. The Jordan shoe legacy, though, is that of the rise of sneaker culture as a whole. The Jordans are ambiguous, and they're not alone. I've always played in Cobes, Mitru Long said of the line of shoe worn by Hall of Famer Kobe Bryant. He was my favorite player growing up. Him and Allen Iversion. I actually had a pair of Iversion's popular late 1990s shoes, The Questions. That was one of my favorite shoes when I was younger. My all-time favorite shoe, which I just purchased last week, are the Hurricane 2K5s. I played in those when I was about 7th grade, which is when basketball was starting to get real competitive for me, and every time I put them on, I felt really good and played really well. When he reached the powerhouse hoops program in Las Vegas of Finley Prep, Mitru Long's infatuation with shoes increased again. We were a top-tier Nike school, and we were getting some cool shoes, Mitru Long said, but there was nothing real custom, so that's when my love really started to grow deep. I traded two pairs of Jordan VIs to Nick Johnson, who played at Arizona and played in the NBA a little while, for a pair of All-Star Cobes 6 that were going to drop early the next year. That's how I knew because I gave him two very elite shoes for one pair of Cobes that I just absolutely loved. Then at Iowa State, a Nike-sponsored school, it reached a fever pitch. That's when it took off, Mitu Long said. I needed custom Cobes. I need that shoe. I need this shoe. When my hip surgery kicked in during the 2015-16 to 16 season, that was a wrap. Then I doubled up on everything. You don't realize you're in it until you look in your closet and you see you have 15 to 20 pairs of shoes that are just sitting there. Then you came across your locker and you realize there's some shoes in there you haven't worn in a while. Mitru Long now travels in one of the most exclusive circles of sneakerheads as an NBA player. He's surrounded by people that have their own line of shoes and make tens of millions of dollars a year, all a while harboring a love of kicks. There's a competitive edge with the guys in the league, for sure, Mitru Long said. In regards to price, in regards to look, I don't get too caught up in that, just because there are guys who have access to kicks left, right, and center. I also think it's like appreciation to when you see a guy with some fresh kicks, you're like, yo, I see you with the laser IVs on, or I see you with the Cobe 6s. It's a mutual respect thing. Now, Michu Long's phone is full of sneaker apps that are essential for growing a collection in a day and age when sneaker culture has become wildly popular. You don't realize you're deep in the game until you're deep in the game, Michu Long said. 
but you're happy you're deep in the game because you have a super assortment of kicks. Our next sports article, Mother Superior. As the nation celebrates Mother's Day this weekend, we celebrate some of the sports world's most accomplished working moms by Jake Lovett. U.S. women's national team star Alex Morgan, expecting her first child, is soon to become the latest superstar athlete to join Serena Williams, Candace Parker, and others among the ranks of motherhood. Morgan said she intends to compete with her fellow national teamers at the Olympics. The postponement of the 2020 Games for another year should give her an even better chance of recovering and making the squad than she had before. And beyond with Mother's Day on Sunday, let's take a look at some of the last two decades' most notable athletes who have found a way to balance life as a mother with stardom and success on the field, court, and track. Brenda Fress, head coach, Maryland women's basketball. Coaching the majority of the 2007 to 28, 2008 pregnant with twins didn't slow Fries or her team down. In fact, the day Fries' twins boys were born, Marcus William Thomas and Tyler Joseph Thomas, on February 17, 2008, the Terrapins beat Duke 76-69 and went on to appear in the Elite Eight with their coach back on the sidelines just a few weeks postpartum. Since becoming a mom, she's won five conference titles, been named Conference Coach of the Year three times, once in the ACC, twice in the Big Ten, gone to another Elite Eight and two Final Fours. Candace Parker, forward Los Angeles Sparks. Almost the entirety of Parker's professional career has been played as a mother. Her daughter, Layla Nicole Williams, was born just before the start of the 2009 season, Parker's second in the WNBA. She missed just eight games before returning to the Sparks and averaged 13.1 points per game and a league-high 9.8 rebounds per game that season. Motherhood hasn't slowed her down in the slightest. She has been named a WNBA All-Star five times, 2011, 2013, 2014, 2017 to 2018. MVP in 2013 and finals MVP in 2016 in the years since and at 33 started 22 games for the Sparks in 2019. Carrie Walsh Jennings Beach Volleyball. Carrie Walsh Jennings and her teammate Misty May won gold in beach volleyball at the Athens Olympics in 2004 and the Beijing Olympics in 2008, but their gold together in 2012 was arguably more impressive. Walsh Jennings won gold again in 2012 after giving birth to her first two children, Joseph in 2009 and Sundance in 2010, and pregnant with her third, Scout, born in April 2013. Walsh Jennings returned in Rio in 2016 as a mother of three with a new partner, April Ross, and won the bronze. Now, at age 41, she is competing to join the 2020 team with her latest partner, Brooke Sweet. Allison Felix, track and field. Felix, a nine-time Olympic medalist, became a mother in 2018. With the birth of her daughter, Cameron, just 10 months later, she was back on the track winning her 12th and 13th World Championship golds. Last year, Felix joined a group of mothers speaking out against loss or decreased sponsorship after having a child, prompting several major brands, including Nike, to include more protections for pregnant athletes. Serena Williams, tennis. 
the world's best tennis player at the title of her pregnancy announcement, Williams won the 2017 Australian Open at eight weeks pregnant. She returned to the court in February of 2018, five months after birth of Olympia, her daughter, and was in the Wimbledon final by July. She made three more major finals since. Her first win as a mother came in January of this year at the ASB Classic in Auckland, New Zealand. Iowa beats Huskers for three-star Nebraska W.R. Johnson by Matthew Bain. Iowa wide receivers coach Kelton Copeland continues to have a strong couple of weeks. First, the Hawkeyes landed Kansas City three-star receiver Arlen Bruce on April 28th. Then, on May 1st, Ankeny three-star receiver Brody Brecht picked the Hawkeyes over Iowa State. Now, a third receiver has joined the 2021 class. Keegan Johnson, a three-star target out of the Omaha suburbs, announced his commitment to Iowa via Twitter on Wednesday. He chose the Hawkeyes among a final three that included Nebraska and Kansas State, although this was widely considered a battle between the Hawkeyes and the Cornhuskers. Coach Copeland is really changing around the receiving core at Iowa, and I see that offense being a great fit for me, Johnson told the register. I committed now because there won't be any visits anytime soon, and I was about ready to get the process over. He is the son of Cluster Johnson, who played for Nebraska in the early 1990s. Johnson is a six foot one, 180 pounder, considered the number 379 overall prospect in 2021, according to the 24/7 Sports Composite. He rated the highest of Iowa's three incoming receivers. Rivals also considers him a three-star prospect. He plays both receiver and safety at Bellevue West. As a junior, he caught 52 passes for 672 yards and eight touchdowns. Johnson becomes the 15th known recruit in Iowa's 2021 class in the 7th in April and May. The class is currently ranked number six in the country, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. Again, this is by Matthew Bain. He covers recruiting for Iowa and Iowa State Athletics and Drake Basketball for the Des Moines Register and the USA Today Network. Moving to the Iowa Life section of the Des Moines Register, our front page article is Moral Season. Pandemic Won't Cancel This Favorite Pastime by Shelby Flagg. Exactly a year ago Monday, Steve Roberts and Todd Whitman, both of Ankeny, scored nearly 50 pounds of moral mushrooms together in a single day. The last time Roberts said he made a comparable bounty was 25 years ago, when he was just 18. This Monday, a cool and cloudy end to a long stretch of sunshine, moral hunters weren't so lucky. Even with ideal temperatures, a relatively dry April has delayed the peak growth of morals, a wild fungi with ridges that resemble honeycomb. Conditions for spring mushroom hunting should improve slightly thanks to rain forecasts across Iowa early this week, making way for what could be partially busy moral season. As the coronavirus pandemic forces people to stay home and maintain social distance in public, more people are spending time in nature, experts say. Jim Coffey, a forest wildlife research biologist for the Iowa Department of Natural Resources, said more Iowans are hunting turkeys, fishing, and using parks compared to last spring. One silver lining of daily routines being uprooted by COVID-19. 
I think people are getting out and exploring a little bit more and maybe getting back to the roots of things they used to do back when life wasn't as busy as they thought. Now that we have a little more free time, he said. Roberts, who runs the popular Iowa Moral Report Facebook page for 35,000 followers, dedicates hours of every day each spring to his lifelong hobby. The 43-year-old husband and father is also the owner of Pie 5 Pizza in Ankeny. I think it's awesome, he said, of the bump in popularity of mushrooming. He has closely monitored the same patch of land twice a day for almost two weeks, gauging the conditions and any growth. His father, Ron, often accompanies him, which has further built upon his decades of experience. My grandfather taught my dad, and my dad taught me, said Roberts. He taught me how to mushroom hunt, and now I'm teaching him a little bit. It's great to have someone to take over, his dad said last week. But there's more mushrooms than just morals out there to hunt. Like morals or morcella, yellow oyster mushrooms also grow in spring. And in the fall, hen of the woods mushrooms are easier to find and taste just as good or better, said Roberts, who also runs the Iowa Fall Mushroom Report Facebook page. People who sell their mushroom bounties for which a certification is required, are facing more issues than dry soil. Because of the pandemic, Iowa State University Extension and Outreach canceled its program for new certifications for moral and oyster sales, although recertifications are still available. Brant Fox and his business partner, Mike Mayer, run... Honey Whole Moral Mushrooms and the two plan to sell their product at the Downtown Farmers Market in Des Moines for the first time this year. They purchase mushrooms from pickers in Iowa and across the continental United States. Their business is facing new challenges from COVID-19. Older pickers are not out as much, Fox guessed, because of the recommended precautions for elderly people. Popular events such as food festivals are being canceled, and the downtown farmer's market is being held virtually for now. My partner and I really don't know what direction this is going to go, said Fox, who lives in rural Mingo. He said that if the farmer's market reopens outdoors this year, it's not going to be like it was with thousands of people walking around and listening to live music and smiling. It's going to be people wearing face masks and being concerned about the quality of the food and how it's being handled. Still, Fox is seeing increased demand for his morals. I never thought I would say this, but in the midst of the COVID-19 dilemma, we are seeing a lot of interest in fresh foods. We have more people interested in buying from us now than probably ever before, he said. How to find morals in Iowa. Morals typically pop up in southern Iowa in early April, then move north until mid-May as soil temperature and moisture increases, Coffee said. For newcomers and veterans alike, the key is finding them in patience. Robert's advice for mushroom hunters is to not get discouraged, even if morals are covered by long grass and weeds. A lot of people give up, and then I find them two or three weeks later, said Roberts, who often donates his morals to friends. Coffee recommends that hunters with varying experience levels buddy up and explore south-facing hills and the perimeters of woodlands, both of which get lots of sunlight. 
It also helps to study photos of morals before you hunt, as your brain will be more easily able to spot them, he said. Assuming parts of Iowa get an inch of rain early this week, as the National Weather Service predicts, this week will be a pretty good time to be out, he said. Our next article for the Iowa Life page, A Look at What's New, Notable in Outdoor Grills by Ken Cook. Barbecue season couldn't be more welcome this year. Grilling is a way to change things up and expand the menu and the view for those stuck at home because of the coronavirus. Eating out means the patio, yard, or balcony if you have one. There's all kinds of stylish and practical barbecue gear available to help. If your home has a mid-century vibe, you could bring that outdoors too. Heston Blumenthal's Evan Deer has a slim, trim, die-cast aluminum body on future-style legs and comes in graphite, sky blue, claret, or burnt orange. Features include a Bluetooth app for recipes, cooking tips, and grill monitoring, a piece of stone and vents on top and bottom for even cooking, a touch ignition features gets the charcoal fired up, art, flames, cordon, steel-based pedestal grill also has a modern look. Load the center pit with wood or charcoal and the surrounding steel's cooking ringlets you sear foods at higher or lower temps depending on positioning pop the ring off to turn the grill into a fireball riverbend homes small 14 by 22.5 inch wood or charcoal grill is a nice size for urban patios and can be used for searing roasting grilling or low temperature smoking the ceramic exterior is offered in on-trend orange as well as dark gray. The company also has the handy Onai Coda Propane Pizza Grill, which is ready to go in 15 minutes and cooks pizza in about a minute. You can also use it to roast fish, steak, or vegetables. Serious grill enthusiasts might opt for a Kamado-style grill. The word means stove in Japanese. With its distinctive oval shape with top and bottom vents, these grills have thick ceramic heat-trapping walls that heat up quickly. They work much like convention ovens. Almost every Kamado grill manufacturer recommends using lump charcoal over charcoal briquettes. In our experience, briquettes may cost less, but lump charcoal is better suited for a Kamado grill. It can reach higher temperatures and it tends to smell better as you cook. It too, says Lindsay D. Madison, a chef and food writer in Durango, Colorado. She warns against using lighter fluid with these grills. It can absorb into the uncoated ceramics in the firebox and no one wants their food to taste like fuel. Big Green Eggs got several sizes of ceramic grills, including a 10-inch mini that's perfect for tailgating or picnics. Several of the Kamado Joe grills come with free charcoal. The brand features an airlift hinge that reduces the lid weight, making it easier to open and close. There's also a hybrid Kamado grill model available at Williams-Sonoma that takes either charcoal or gas. Its white exterior makes it look a little like R2-D2. And Monolith has added Alexa capabilities to their version. Share your recipes with others on the app, set temps, and monitor the cooking process via voice control. Blaze, Blaze's version is made of heavy gauge 
aluminum, so you can use charcoal, briquettes, and lighter fluid. The 20-inch model is big enough to fit about a 15-pound turkey. The stretch limo of grills would be Heston's 55-inch model, which has over 650 square inches of cooking surface, a bunch of burners built in ceramic and infrared rotisseries, and motion-activated under-hood halogen lighting. It comes in colors like purple, burgundy, white, and light and deep blues. It comes in fashionable colors like purple, burgundy, and white, so you can bring some stylish sear to your social distancing. Moving to the money and life section of the USA Today, Angry Your Coronavirus Check Was Garnished? The Iris Has Plans to Fix It by Jessica Menton. Sarah Arentz Douglas, a fourth grade teacher who lives in Gladstone, Oregon, was crushed when she found out her 3400 coronavirus relief check was was garnished by the IRS to pay her husband's back child support. It was a devastating blow, says Douglas, who still expects to get 2200 in emergency relief money for herself and her two children. I'm a teacher. I'm not rolling in the dough. Douglas, 45, plans to use the money to cover utility and groceries expenses that have jumped since her two sons, 11 and 13, have been forced to stay home while schools are shuttered during the coronavirus outbreak. Her husband, who works as a driver and trainer in the flatbed trucking industry, owes about $15,000 in back child support for three kids and has 1300 garnished from his paycheck per month, including areas that he owes. I understand completely why my husband's portion would have been taken for his children, but my portion and my children's portion just didn't seem fair, Douglas says. I was so upset, overwhelmed, and frustrated with the system. My children shouldn't have to bear the financial responsibility for my husband's other children. The dilemma Douglas faces is one that many Americans confront at the intersection of love, marriage, divorce, and taxes. Many have complained their emergency payments were withheld by the IRS even though they qualified for injured spouse relief, a process in which a married couple filing their taxes jointly could seek to recover a portion of their tax refund for the spouse that owes no debt. Relief payments are typically treated like tax refunds. The missing money has created confusion among many households seeking relief and raised questions about how payments are distributed. It's an empathetic issue, says Francine Lippman, a tax expert and professor with the University of Nevada Las Vegas School of Law. These women have empathy for their other children in that household, but they still have their own financial circumstances. It's very complicated because there are innocent children on both sides of this. The Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act suspends debts such as overdue student loans or back taxes that typically lead to the garnishment of tax refunds, but it doesn't apply to delinquent child's support payments. That means the government's relief checks will be garnished if payments are overdue. Some spouses are angry their money is being trimmed or withheld, even if they typically qualify for relief in tax refunds. 
If you qualified for injured spouse relief when filing your 2018 or 29 tax returns, you will get a portion of your relief payment back. The IRS said this week it is aware of the situation and is working with the Bureau of Fiscal Service, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Office of Child Support Enforcement to resolve the issue as quickly as possible. People who filed an injured spouse claim with their 2018 or 2019 tax return, whichever is most recent and are affected by this issue, don't need to take any action, the IRS said. The injured spouse will receive the unpaid half of the total payment when the issue is resolved. There is no need to file another injured spouse claim for the payment, the agency said. The agency didn't immediately respond to requests for comment on when the issue would be fixed. Half of the total relief payment will be sent to the spouse that qualifies for injured spouse relief, while the one who owes back child support will see a portion either trimmed or withheld for past due child support, the IRS said. In the global financial crisis in 2008, the IRS allowed those who filed injured spouse relief forms with their tax returns to receive stimulus relief. In those instances, the money was split down the middle, too. Katie Servos, 39, checked the IRS website to track the status of her relief check. It said the money was deposited into her bank account. When the money didn't show up, Servos, who lives in Raytown, Missouri, called her credit union, which went through all of its incoming IRS payments twice to make sure her funds weren't misapplied to another account. She received a letter from the IRS saying her $3,900 check was garnished for her husband's overdue child support. The notice included information about potentially qualifying for injured spouse relief to recoup some of the funds. The problem? She had already completed the form when filing her most recent tax return. I cried. It was very defeating, says Servos, who has been married for nearly 16 years and filed for her taxes with injured spouse relief for the majority of those years to recoup a portion of her tax refund. Why did they even send me this letter if I've already filed my taxes with this form? Servos, an accountant executive at insurance wholesale company RT Specialty, is the breadwinner for her family and her husband stays home taking care of their four children. She has a second job in direct sales at Scentsy, a marketing company that sells scented products such as wax warmers. Saravos's husband fought in court three times to get custody of the child, but all of the court payments were applied to his child support dues, she said. This isn't my responsibility, and it isn't my child's fault either, Saravos said. It's still unclear, but Lippmann speculates why some American payments were garnished despite qualifying for relief. It's possible the older IRS software overlooked that form, Lippmann says. The IRS is in the midst of a multi-year plan to improve its aging technology infrastructure that it estimates will cost $2.3 billion to $2.7 billion, according to the agency taxpayer advocate. Its success depends on additional funding it receives from Congress. 
Greg Wilson, Executive Director at Child Support Directors Association of California, says there was a possible coding error in the systems between the Treasury Department, the Office of Child Support Enforcement, and states where the injured spouse claims for 2019 returns may not have been in databases when relief payments were processed. There's been more questions than answers all around, Wilson says. I'm hearing that some injured spouse claims were not properly accounted for when the stimulus payments went out. The Administration for Families and Children, which oversees the Office of Child Support Enforcement, didn't immediately respond to requests for comment. Be patient. It could take months before the issue is fixed, experts caution. The IRS is trying to put out a lot of fires at the same time that it's understaffed and not answering calls or mail, Lippman says. Relief payments tend to work like tax refunds. The IRS processes a return, then sends a file to the Bureau of Financial Service, the BFS, which typically ensures issues tax refunds and relief payments for the IRS, determines how much of a refund gets taken for debts owed. In some cases, tax refunds are withheld for 11 to 14 weeks or even as long as six months if taxpayers filed a joint return with an injured spouse claim, according to Christina Taylor, head of the operations at Credit Karma Tax. Why the lag time? The agency typically anticipates that an injured spouse claim may be coming, so it holds it longer instead of paying it to the recipient in case a portion of it needs to go back to the injured spouse. Roughly 95% of coronavirus relief payments are expected to go out in the next four to six weeks, Taylor says. I would hope folks with injured spouse claims would be getting their money in the next four to six weeks, Taylor says. If not, the IRS will issue stragglers of stimulus payments throughout the rest of the year, so it may be later than 2020 before they get their money. Wipes likely to make summer return. Clorox demand explodes over 500% for products by Jessica Gunn. Clorox says retail shelves will not be fully stocked with its popular wipes and other disinfectant cleaners used to combat COVID-19 until this summer. We think that there's going to be substantial improvement this summer. Clorox chairman and CEO Benner Dorr told Yahoo Finance in an interview. It's going to be touch and go until then, unfortunately. Shoppers have become increasingly frustrated as they scour the internet and local stores for Lysol sprays and Clorox wipes only to find shelves picked clean after households stocked up on cleaning products to protect against infection, especially in COVID-19 hot zones. Manufacturers like Clorox were not prepared for skyrocketing demand in a sleepy sector with reliability steady sales that usually fluctuate only during flu season. On a third quarter earnings call last week, Dorr told analysts that Clorox saw demand for disinfectant products increase more than 500%. Demand has been clearly unprecedented and we're in uncharted territory for our supply chain in particular in disinfecting products, he said. Products such as Clorox 4-in-1 disinfecting spray and Lysol disinfectant spray are among the products that the Environmental Protection Agency says likely protect against the spread of the coronavirus. Disinfectant manufacturers have cranked up production, narrowed the number of products they make, and have invested in increased capacity to try to catch up with skyrocketing demand. To try and meet demand to the greatest extent possible, we've been running our cleaning and disinfecting product plans 
plants 24-7, Dorr told an analyst last week. To increase output, we've accessed third-party supply sources focused on manufacturing of disinfecting products and those that can be supplied most quickly, and we've been partnering with suppliers and retailers to get products where it needed to be the most. Tom Derry, CEO of the Institute for Supply Management, told USA Today last month the shoppers would not be able to easily buy disinfectant wipes and other cleaning products again until June, but he predicted intermittent shortages would persist for months. Last week, Clorox reported that third quarter sales rose 15%, buoyed by purchases of bleach, wipes, and other cleaning products. The company's cleaning segment, which includes disinfectant wipes, Bleach and Pine Soul saw sales growth of 32%, the company reported. In the tech section of the USA Today, YouTube TV to add Viacom CBS channels. Deal is another reason to cut cable. Subscribe by Dalvin Brown. Popular cable brands such as Comedy Central, BET, VH1, and CMT are all headed for YouTube TV this summer in a deal made possible by last year's Viacom-CBS merger. A new company, Viacom-CBS, announced Thursday that it secured an expanded distribution deal with Google to bring more news channels, entertainment, and sports networks to YouTube TV subscribers. The deal includes CBS channels that already were a part of the YouTube TV family, including CBS broadcast stations, CBS sports networks, Pop TV, Smithsonian Channel, and CW. However, it is adding access to 14 Viacom CBS channels to the live TV and on-demand membership. We are thrilled to have reached an expanded agreement with YouTube TV that recognizes the full power of our newly combined portfolio as Viacom CBS. Ray Hopkins, president of U.S. Networks Distribution at Viacom CBS, said in a news release, MTV, Nickelodeon, Paramount Network, and TV Land are among the channels launching on YouTube TV in the coming months. BET, Her, MTV2, Nick Jr., Nicktoons, Teen Nick, and MTV Classics will be available on the platform at a later date, Viacom CBS said. The move fattens the number of viewing options for cord cutters and gives those paying for cable TV yet another reason to cancel and sign up for streaming. Cord cutters can get access to broadcast and cable network for a lower monthly price and access the programming on TV screens, smartphones, tablets, and more. The network availability digitally are plenty, though there are fewer than regular cable. YouTube TV works with various streaming devices, including Roku, Apple, and Chromecast, as well as smart TVs from Samsung, LG, Vizio, and Sony. It also works on video game consoles and Fire TV streaming sticks. A YouTube TV membership costs $50 per month with up to six accounts and accesses to more than 70 channel. By comparison, Hulu with live TV costs $55 per month, AT&T charges $65 for its now digital TV service, and Sling TV costs $30. Neiman Marcus files for Chapter 11, Company Not Planning Mass Store Closings by Nathan Bomey. 
luxury department store chain Neiman Marcus Group filed for Chapter 2 bankruptcy protection Thursday as the coronavirus tips struggling retailers into existential crisis. The company said it's not planning mass store closings on a permanent basis, though its stores are currently temporarily closed. We will reopen our doors as it is safe to do so based on the status of the pandemic, the company said in a statement. The Chapter 2 process will not impact the timing of our stores reopening, but it will ensure we are stronger financially when we do. If there were to be future store closings, it would be an operational decision on a case-by-case basis. The company said it obtained support from a significant majority of its creditors to undergo a financial restructuring, substantially reducing its debt load and interest payments and supporting continued operations during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Neiman Marcus completed a debt restructuring plan in 2019 that was aimed at avoiding bankruptcy, but the coronavirus forced Neiman Marcus and other department stores to temporarily close their stores, exacerbating their woes. Department stores have struggled for years amid heightened competition from digital players such as Amazon, discount chains such as TJ Maxx, and specialty retails. Neiman Marcus, whose stores in include the Bergdorf Goodman luxury chain, announced in March that it would close the majority of its 22 last call stores. The retailer's decision to file Chapter 2 bankruptcy marks the third major case of the week after the filings of fashion retailer J. Crew Group and fitness chain Gold's Gym. Neiman Marcus CEO Joffrey Van Raymondock said the company had been making solid progress on our journey to long-term profitable and sustainable growth before COVID-19. We have grown our unrivaled luxury customer base, expanded our industry-leading customer relationships, and achieved higher omni-channel penetration, he said. However, like most businesses today, we are facing unprecedented disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, which has placed inexorable pressure on our business. The company proposes a plan to eliminate $4 billion in debt during its bankruptcy in hopes to emerge from the process in early fall. A few little articles in the Money Line section of the USA Today before we read Dear Abby. Jobs report to show record unemployment. The jobs report out Friday likely will reveal the highest U.S. unemployment rate on record at 15% to 20%, but even that figure will probably likely understate the scale of joblessness across the nation. Some economists reckon that one-third or more of the Americans who were laid off in the weeks leading up to the Labor Department's April jobs survey aren't even looking for work and so aren't countered as unemployment. Economists surveyed by Bloomberg predict 21.5 million job losses and an unemployment rate of 16%, up from 4.4% in March, both the highest on record by far, according to their median estimate. China exports rebound in April, but trouble looms. China's exports rebounded in April to rise 3.5% over a year earlier, but forecasters warned that strength is unlikely to last as the coronavirus pandemic expresses global consumer demand. Exports to the United States rose 2.2%, while imports of American goods fell 11% in a sign of weak Chinese industrial and consumer demand, government data showed. 
Thursday, total exports rose to $200.3 billion, a turnaround from the 13.3% contraction in the three months ending in March. Imports fell 13.7% from a year earlier to $179.6 billion. Productivity in U.S. shows biggest drop since 2015. U.S. productivity fell a sharp 2.5% in the first three months of this year, the biggest decline since 2015, with labor costs jumping 4.8%. The Labor Department reported Thursday that the decline was the sharpest drop since a 2.9% decline in the final quarter of 2015. The drop reflected the biggest declines in output and hours worked since 2009 amid the pandemic. Now it is time for our dear Abby from today's Des Moines Register. Altering meals is blasted by a sympathetic cook. Dear Abby, regarding recipe for disasters in Texas, February 17th, I have to say I disagreed with your response. My husband frequently feels the need to doctor my recipes, and I think it's disrespectful. He insists on combining ingredients that don't belong together. He puts cheddar on bologna, and ranch dressing on chicken teriyaki. He would never ask for this modification in a restaurant. Recipe should learn to appreciate that his wife is preparing meals for him. This is by Flavor Queen of North Carolina. Dear Queen, I enjoyed the responses to that letter. Some of the comments made me chuckle, so I'll share them too. Read on. Dear Abby, while I was in the military, it was normal to add salt, pepper, and ketchup to everything without tasting it first. The habit was followed has followed me for 50 years. Mac and cheese needs ketchups. Veggies, potatoes, eggs, and watermelon needs salt. Most everything else needs pepper. Vietnam, vet, and Missouri. Dear Abby, my husband jokes he has Mexican taste buds, but a white guy stomach. Thanks, heavens, we have separate bathrooms from ck on the net dear abby i know when my husband gets out of the tabasco that the meal is not quite to his liking i don't usually mind because i cook for the entire family and just for reference he thinks that i'm an amazing cook pm on the web and that brings us to the end of today's reading of the des moines register for friday may 8th you can hear the show again at 6 p.m and again at 1 a.m recordings are available on our website iowaradioreading.org all material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of Iowans who are print disabled. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 515-243-6833. You can also call toll-free from anywhere in Iowa, 1-877-404-4747. Once again, we want you to know that our program schedule has changed so we can get as much local information to as many listeners as possible. The Fort Dodge Messenger will be read at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday. The Mason City Globe Gazette will be read at 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. Your Des Moines Register will continue to be read from 9 a.m. to noon. The Cedar Rapids Gazette will be read at noon, seven days a week. The Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier will be read at 1 p.m. seven days a week. The Dubuque Telegraph Herald will be read at 2 p.m. Monday through
through Friday. The Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil will be read at 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Sioux City Journal will be read at 4 p.m. seven days a week. The Ames Tribune will be read at 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Midweek Shopping Cart will be read each Wednesday at 9 p.m. We will stay with this schedule until further notice. I'm your reader, Aaron. It's been a great pleasure to read for you today. Stay tuned for today's reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And thank you for listening to your Iris. I was first and only radio reading service.